been involved in church or connected to a church, but now are no longer connected to a church or involved uh, with a church. How many people do you know who once used to be involved in church, but have now walked away and, and left it behind and are no longer connected to a church? So why is that? Why do we see that happen sometimes from, uh, from place to place? I think very often these people who may do that miss out on God's blessing of being in a community of believers, uh, Jesus Christ's disciples, because they aren't willing to obey what God says to us and live it out. And when that happens, they actually wander away from God and they miss out on the growth and the blessings that God brings in their lives as we live and obey and trust in him with all that he says to us. If you've got your Bibles today, uh, just go to um, Jeremiah 43, and I'll just read a little bit further on from where Craig finished for us. We're going to read verses 1 to 7. (coughs) When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people, all these words of the Lord their God, which with the Lord their God had sent him to them, Azariah the son of Hoshai and Johanan the son of Kareah, and all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, You are telling a lie. The Lord our God did not send you to say, Do not go up to Egypt to live. There, But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they may kill us or take us into exile in Babylon. So Yohanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Yohanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to live in the land of Judah from all the nations to which they had been driven. The men, the women, the children, the princesses, and every person whom Nebzeradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, also Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch the son of Neriah. And they came into the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And they arrived at Taphanes. Lord, we thank you today that we can come and uh, gather around you. We thank you, God, for the freedom we have to uh, gather in this building and freely open up your word. We ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us as we think about Jeremiah chapters 41, 42, 43, 44. There's one sort of story here that's taking place, Lord. So I pray, please help us to see uh, what's happening there and that you would uh, stir our own faith, Lord, as we think about what's happening in the life of Judah and uh, what you're directing them to do. God, we ask for your power and ask for your help now, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We really are set up for an interesting story here in these closing chapters of uh, Jeremiah. In fact, chapter 44 are the last words that Jeremiah actually has for the people of Judah at this particular time. There's another eight chapters after that, but they're recorded events that were there beforehand. Uh, From this point, we don't know uh, whether Jeremiah died in Egypt or actually got back to uh, Jerusalem and died there. But one thing's for sure, uh, Jeremiah is remaining faithful to all of God's call upon his life. He continues to serve God faithfully all the time and he continues to love the people that God's given to him by sharing God's word of truth with them right to the very end. And God is continuing to show grace and justice to these guys. God's eternal plans of salvation have not been derailed. Everything is on track as God carries out this eternal plan. Today, though, we'll see these people seeking God's blessing on a particular challenge they're facing, but then they won't accept the truth that God's got to tell them and they'll walk away from that. 
In fact, that's what they've done nearly all the way through Jeremiah. They haven't listened to God's word. They've actually just gone and done their own thing off their own bat. Again, we're going to see that here. But let's pick up the story today as we, as we see this unfolding before us. The story we have is Nebuchadnezzar has invaded Judah and taken all but a handful of these people away to Babylon. He's stripped the place bare. He's caused nothing but suffering, death and destruction in the land of Judah and particularly in Jerusalem. The palace is burned and the temple is in ruins. Uh, about the only way to describe Jerusalem at this time is a smoking ruin. This once great city and temple now looks like a current day Syrian war zone. If we could just see the destruction there, it would be devastating. Nebuchadnezzar then has appointed a man called Gedaliah as the governor to oversee this land on behalf of the Babylonian king. He's overthrown it. He sent a guy there, said, you be the governor here. So he lives in there and he governs on behalf of Nebuchadnezzar the remaining people in Jerusalem. What we then have, this is coming out of chapter 41, uh, a disgruntled member of the royal family, of not Babylonian royal family, but the, uh, the royal family of Judah, uh, a man called Ishmael, uh, he comes in and murders Gedaliah, the governor, and then takes away the rest of the people who had gathered there in Jerusalem to go to the land of the Ammonites. It's a bit like a hit-and-run tactic. He comes in and kills the, the, um, the governor, takes all the people, and off to the land of the Ammonites. Another man that we saw uh, heard before as we read out from that chapter, called Johanan from Judah, he hears about what this Ishmael has done and the murder he's carried out. So he goes and he finds, calls all the remaining people, whoever's there. It's like a call to arms. We need to go and get this guy and rescue these people that have been taken away captive uh, by Ishmael. Johanan meets Ishmael in a land called Gibeon, him and his terrorists, and they fight with them there, defeat them. Ishmael takes off to the Ammonites, but uh, Johanan rescues all the people and then brings them back uh, to the land of Judah, back to Jerusalem. But Johanan's now worried. He's worried. He's worried that the king of Babylon will hear of this murder of Gedaliah and then come and punish all the remaining people of Judah and the people in Jerusalem with death, imprisonment or exile to Babylon. He's actually quite scared about this. He's got this really hard decision now. What will I do? I've got this really tough challenge before me. Will we stay here in Jerusalem and he's going to hear about what's happening to Gedaliah and he's going to come down and he's going to maybe pour out his wrath and his anger upon us and maybe kill some and take some back? Or will I run away and avoid it? Will I take a safe option, so to speak? This is what Yohanan does. He plans to go to Egypt to escape from the king and find shelter in this country. Yohanan then now comes with his leaders to Jeremiah to seek God's word on this situation. And here's where it is in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 42. And uh, this is Johanna speaking to Jeremiah the prophet. Let our plea for mercy come before you and pray to the Lord your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with but a few as your eyes see us, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing that we should do. That's what he's come with Jeremiah asking this question. Please pray for us. Let's summarise here at this point. Gedaliah, the king's governor, has been murdered. Johanan chases after Ishmael the murderer and rescues the people. Johanan is now filled with fear and worry about what will the king do because of this murder. They want to flee to Egypt to get away from everything and avoid it. And they come to Jeremiah asking God's blessing 
and direction on their plans. In verse 4, Jeremiah answers, I will pray. I will pray. Whatever God says, Jeremiah, I will tell you. I will tell you everything that God says. Whatever I hear, I will tell you. Then in verses 5 and 6, Hannah and the people respond, this is good. This is good. Whatever God says, whether it sounds good or bad to us, we will obey God's word. Is what they say to Jeremiah when they say, this is what's going to happen. It doesn't matter, Johanna says. Whatever God says, we'll do it, irregardless. Ten days later, Jeremiah comes back with a word from God. And it's here that we begin to pick up this idea of blessings in obeying God's word or judgment for disobeying God's word. Blessings if we obey God's word or judgment if we disobey God's word. Let's pick it up now in this response here, particularly in uh, verses 9 and 12 of Jeremiah 42. Jeremiah's gathered your hand on the leaders and he says this to them. And said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your plea for mercy before him. So this is 10 days later. This is the word now coming back. If you will remain in this land, then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent of the disaster that I did to you. Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. I will grant you mercy that he may have mercy on you and let you remain in your own land. That's the Lord's word for Johanan and the people. God says, listen to my word. Obey me and stay here in Jerusalem. God says, listen, obey, and I will bless you. I will save you. I will deliver you from the king's hand. I will build you up and I will plant you. You don't have to be afraid of what you're facing. I'm with you to carry you through this. Here is the blessing for you. Obey what I've got to say and all will be well. This has been God's way all the way through creation with his people. Starts off with Adam and Eve. They had to simply believe God and obey Him to enjoy His blessings. Abraham had to simply believe God's word and obey Him with about the word about the promised child and to enjoy those blessings. King David simply had to obey God's word and believe it about a strong kingdom and then enjoy those blessings. Believe and obey, and you walk in God's will and you receive of His blessings. This has always been God's way. This has always been the God who can be trusted in his word. This has always been the God who can deliver on his word that none can stop. This is a God who is generous in his blessings, telling Johanan the very same thing again. And we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Moses is talking to the people and he says this, And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Yohanan, stay in Jerusalem. Obey the voice of God and you'll be okay. You'll be blessed. I'll look after you. Don't worry about the king of Babylon. Okay, that's the alternative. Sorry, that was one aspect. But here's the alternative if you disobey God and his word. If you choose to go back to Egypt... Then hear this, Johanan. 
From verses 13 to 22, God speaking through Jeremiah lays it out in no uncertain terms. What will happen if you'll disobey his word? You'll put yourself in hard places and you'll be under my judgment for rebelling against my word. The very thing you feared will follow you to Egypt, is what God says in his warnings. Sword, famine and pestilence will be close on your heels. He tells him, Yohanan, my righteous anger will follow you to Egypt if you disobey my word. Don't go there. And in verse 19 of 42, it's like, know for certain. Know for certain. This is what will take place if you choose to go against my word. In verse 22, in the same chapter again, he says, you'll experience everything you're trying to avoid or run away from if you choose to disobey my word and go to Egypt. Probably nearly half of this chapter is about God's warning and really what that is, it's God's grace. It's God's grace to warn them. He's laying out these warnings for us and for them. It's like these guys want to follow the freeway to Egypt and God's erecting these massive big flashing warning light signs. Don't go. Turn back. This is the wrong way. Don't go to Egypt. Stay here. God's putting these massive warning signs there, but they're looking right past them. This has always been God's way with people right throughout time. You can live in obedience to God and his word and reap his blessings, or you can live life your own way, rejecting God and his word, and then reap his judgment. There's only two ways to live. There's only two ways to live. There's not one person alive today who couldn't say, yes, I don't think there's a right or wrong. I only think it's all whatever you want to do. Everybody knows there's a right and there's a wrong. Everybody has a choice. We can choose the right way or we can choose the wrong way. We can obey God and have his blessing or we can disobey God and bring on his judgment into our lives. A couple of things I need to say here, though, to make sure we're clear when we talk about this, uh, because this can be a bit confusing sometimes. We feel like God's like, maybe a, if I do enough good things, I'll get God on my side, so to speak. Following God's word and obeying him doesn't mean there'll be no challenges in life. Got to be really clear in that. Following God's word and obeying him doesn't mean it'll be a red carpet ride. Life will just be a tiptoe through the tulips. But with these problems that we will face, because we still will have problems, even when we do choose to follow God's word and obey him, those problems don't stop God's blessing coming into our lives. They really don't. In fact, it's the problems and challenges of life where we experience God's deepest blessings in our lives, in the middle of those challenges. In fact, God's presence becomes sweeter and sweeter, deeper and deeper, during the trials, during the challenges. It's God's way of actually revealing himself to us. When we are weak, he makes himself incredibly strong in our lives in the middle of that. We also need to say this as well about obedience. Obedience to God doesn't somehow bring about our salvation or rescue from our sin and brokenness. Like if I just obey God and do enough good things, He'll recognise me and now he'll save me. He'll forgive me my sins because of all the good things I do by obeying him in my life. 
Sometimes we think like that. Sometimes we think like if I just do enough good things that somehow that will sort of draw God back on my um, end of the scales, so to speak. That's not how God works. That's not how, certainly that's not how God works in salvation. To be forgiven of all our sin and to receive entrance into heaven, to be welcomed by Christ, always has been and always will be by grace alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. He's the one who's taken me from being dead in my sins, as we sung before, to now be alive in Christ. Not my good works or good deeds or obedience to God's word uh, through uh, my life, but it's what Christ has done for me on the cross that secures my salvation. It's really important that we understand that because sometimes we can get this obedience thing wrong. Yohanan and Judah, the choice lies before you. It lies before you. Listen to God's word and obey and you'll be blessed by him. Disobey God's word and you'll reap the consequences of that disaster. It's clear. It's right here before them. Now I think about this story today and I guess some of us might sit here and say, well, so what? What does this mean? How does this affect us today as we think about the book of Jeremiah written nearly 3,000 years ago? What do we see out of this that really is directly relevant to us today here in the Greater Shepparton region in 2019? I read this story and I see so much that is directly relevant to us today. I look at the life of Yohanan and actually see much of myself in him as I read through this. And maybe you too will see yourself in the life of Yohanan as we think about this for these next couple of minutes. Think about what Yohanan's doing here. He's already got Egypt set in his mind before coming to Jeremiah. He's already got that, I want to go to Egypt. That's where I'm going. I want to take this people to Egypt. That's the plan of escape that I've worked out. I will just totally avoid the king and not deal with the issue. He's already got this set in his mind right now. He goes to Jeremiah, I believe, as it were, just to get God's stamp of approval on his plans. Jeremiah, tell us what God says. And whatever he says we'll do, it is what he said leading up to it. But I think really what is happening in the back of his mind, he just wants God's stamp of approval. Jeremiah comes back 10 days later to you and it says, with God's word, says this, stay in Jerusalem, don't go. That's not what Johanna wanted to hear. He didn't want to hear that. He wanted to hear, yep, yep, you're on the right track, Johanna. God's told me, yep, you've got to go to Jerusalem. Look at the response here in uh, chapter 43, 1 to 3. When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people, God's word for them, all these words of the Lord their God, which with which the Lord their God had sent him to them. So these are all the words that Jeremiah has given to them, as we read there before. And this is God's direction for them. This is what I want you to do. Follows on in verse 2. Azariah, the son of Hoshai, and Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, you are telling a lie. The Lord our God did not send you to say, do not go to Egypt to live there, but Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us. Is a conspiracy here to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they may kill us or take us into exile in Babylon. He's turning and twisting this whole thing around. There's a conspiracy here. We're on to you, Jeremiah. We know what you're trying to do. You're trying to just set us up. He didn't want to hear the truth. He didn't really want to hear God's word. So here's the rub with this when I think about this. Very often, 
very often we are only prepared to listen to God's word if it suits our circumstances and our agenda. Let me say that again. Very often we are only prepared to listen to God's word if it suits our circumstances and our agenda. That's exactly what's happened with Johannan there. As soon as God's word, the truth, went contrary to Johannan's plans, he wanted nothing to do with it. He asked Jeremiah for God's word. Jeremiah gave it. When it wasn't lining up with him, he wanted nothing to do with it. He had already cooked up what he thought was a safe option. We won't stop and deal with the issue here with Nebuchadnezzar. We'll just take off and we'll avoid the whole thing. We'll run away to Egypt. God says, stay here and trust me. And Johanan answers, Jeremiah, you're speaking lies. You're not telling us the truth. Now this can easily happen with us today, just like it does with Johanan back then. There are some situations in life that are really challenging and very tough. And this very often comes in the form of relationship breakdown or other challenges we may face. Things happen between a couple of different people. The relationship takes a downward spiral. Something's said or something's done and there's hurt or there's offence or there's grief that's taken place there and there's tension or bad feelings beginning to erupt. Potentially fold on both sides and both parties get offended and get hurt in this relationship breakdown. Here's what can often happen with this uh, in this way. We may go share our grievance with a third party, someone who's independent of the whole situation. And they may give us some biblical wisdom on how to handle what's happening there, what's taking place, how to actually navigate our way through that. They may help us to see we've got to own our part or our part of the fault or our problem in this whole situation and then try and move forward to resolve things as we own our part of what's gone wrong there. Now, our reaction often can be like this. We don't like what we hear. We don't really want to own up to our part of that fault. We don't like what we hear. We just want somebody to support my own position, my side of the case or my side of the story. And then often from that we move on to somebody else who may tell me what I want to hear. This is what Johannan is doing with Jeremiah. He rejects God's word or in our case, biblical wisdom of that day. That's not what I want to hear. I want to hear somebody who's going to tell me going to Egypt is a good thing. That's what he wants to hear. Now, Johanan couldn't do this, but this is often what we do. We'll go from person to person to person to person to finally find somebody who will sympathise with my position or my case to sort of back me up. They'll tell me exactly what I want to hear but not what I need to hear at that particular time. I'll go to the first person. He or she is just not caring enough. They they can't see it from my perspective. I'll go to the next person. This person doesn't understand me. No, they don't understand me. We'll go to the next person. They're too insensitive. They just haven't got what's happened. We'll go from person to person to person, trying to find somebody who will finally sympathise with my position. And we do. We finally will find someone... They'll tell me what I want to hear, but not what I need to hear. So what are we doing? We are rejecting God's truth. We are rejecting his word that we need to hear at that particular time. We hear it, 
But it's not what we want to hear. Because that truth that I hear, that biblical wisdom that I hear, it's going to ask me to go through some hard stuff. It's actually going to ask me to confront my own brokenness in this situation. It's going to ask me to deal with stuff that I probably should have dealt with over a long period of time. Perhaps have some difficult conversations. Perhaps go through some difficult circumstances. Because that's what the truth is doing in my life. It's actually pushing me to work through that. But we don't. We avoid the issue. We sort of sidestep around it. We don't want to deal with it. So we find someone else who will tell us what we want to hear, but not what we need to hear. And unfortunately, sometimes, some people go from church to church to church, dodging around issues that they've never resolved. They just move on to the next place, and they move on to the next place, and they move on to the next place. Not wanting to deal with with the issue. Sometimes people actually might find challenge with their kids in schools. And it's a hard truth they might need to hear about their kids that they need to actually work through, but they don't want to do that. So they'll move their kids from school to school to school to school because they're trying to avoid the issue and not deal with what needs to be dealt with. Let me tell you this. As long as we avoid the truth and doing the hard thing, we won't experience God's blessing of being obedient towards him. If we keep dodging around it and keep avoiding it, we won't experience it. As long as we avoid the truth and doing the hard thing, we won't experience God's blessing of being obedient towards him. We won't grow if we keep avoiding what we need to go through. This is God's grace towards us. This is what Johanna needed to do. He needed to face up to what was God's word and then work through it and apply it to his life, no matter what would take place, and trust in God. He didn't want to do that. He just wanted to avoid it. Here's something else I saw as I looked through uh, the story of Johanna and all these people here at the time, and particularly the men of Judah, as they dealt with this situation. Here's what they did. Actually, what they didn't do. The men of Judah did not lead well at this particular time. They did not step up to the plate and lead well at this time. They didn't set the pace in leading their wives in a God-honouring way, and they didn't lead their wives and their families into God's blessing for their lives. The men fell behind here. If we go into Jeremiah 44, we actually see there that Judah is now in Egypt. Hannah and the crew absolutely followed through on their rejection of God's word. They just took off and said, no, we are going to Egypt. That's where they were. And as soon as they got there, they were up to their old tricks and their godless habits of idolatry as soon as they got to Egypt. And and, in Jeremiah 44, 8, it says this. This is now God speaking through Jeremiah. And he says, Why do you provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, making offerings to other gods in the land of Egypt where you have come to live, so that you may be cut off and become a curse and a taunt among all the nations of the earth? So no sooner have they arrived in Egypt, this is what they've done. They are full on into worshipping idols and a whole host of other gods. And the picture there is a bit like this. Egypt is like a, is a, like a type of the world. They've actually gone and immersed themselves into the world and just followed everything that the world is doing at that particular time. Worshipped anything that moves. 
Jeremiah has been forcibly taken with them and he warns them about this again in verses 11 to 14. There's a long passage there. He's warning them about what you're doing in this idol worship. But get this as we see the men reply in verses 15 and 16. They say this, Then all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods and all the women who stood by a great assembly, all the people who lived in Pathros in the land of Egypt, answered Jeremiah, As for the word you've spoken to us this morning, as to the word you've spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. We will not listen to you. We will not listen to you, Jeremiah. Let me give you the sense of how they're saying this. Because I'm not really communicating it well when I say that. They're saying this to Jeremiah and to God's word. Jeremiah, go and get stuffed. That's what they're saying. That's the sense. That's the stubbornness and the arrogance. Jeremiah, go and get stuffed. As blatant as that, that's what they're telling him. And the very next verse, verse 17, we will do what we like. We will do what we like. This is the men, this is the way they're leading. Verse 19, the women speak up and they say this, and the women said, when we made offerings to the Queen of Heaven and poured our drink offerings to her, was it without our husband's approval that we made cakes for her bearing her image and poured out her drink offerings to her? Can you see what the women are saying? Our husbands are right beside us, supporting us, leading us, coming alongside us and giving us the wood to make the fire to bake the cakes. Was it not without our husband's approval? They knew exactly what they were supporting what we were doing. This is where the husbands were leading us. See, here's what's happened. Men are the God-ordained principal leaders in families and in church. That is God's order, for men to lead in the families and to lead in the church. And as soon as men step away from hearing God's word and obeying it and submitting themselves to it, as soon as that happens, it has a flow-on effect to everyone else. It really does. If the men aren't setting the spiritual tempo then the others who are following often will have very little passion in following God as well. If the men aren't set in the tempo, the family very rarely follows on. And when that happens, we miss out again on God's blessing in our families and in our churches. Now, I got some data the other day that was its astounding. It really is. There's data out there that says, if the man is saved first in a family and captivated by the gospel, it's something like 93% of the family follow on. If the man is saved first and he's captivated by the gospel, 93% of the time the whole family follows on. If the woman is saved first, it drops to something like 17% that the family may follow on. It's the reality. Not that there's anything different about women. It's just the way God has ordained that men should lead, both in family and in church life. When men don't lead, the tempo just drops off. It just falls away. And that's exactly what's happening here in Judah. 
The men aren't leading. They're not listening to God's word. They're not obeying God's word. And what are the women doing? They're following precisely where they're being led by the men. That's what I learn when I see that here. Men have to lead. God's call to men today is to hear God's word and obey it. And then to lead their families into God's blessing. It's a glorious place to be in when you're there. It's a place of knowing God's strength, God's peace and God's joy as we listen to his word, obey and lead in that fashion. And we have a tremendous opportunity to lead our families and our church into God's blessing as we seek hard after God, hear his word, obey it in our lives and then see that blessing follow by being true to God. It's not easy, is it? In fact, it's impossible to do it on our own strength. I mean, it's a big book. There's a lot in there. God's will is, is a challenging thing. And in our natural, in our outside of Christ position, there's, there's nothing in it, us at all that wants to follow what's in this book. You know, there's, there's a few good things here and there, but we won't take it all on board. It's impossible for us. First of all, our, our minds are broken in this sense. We don't even want to obey God. And our hearts are reluctant to go after him. Because we don't see him for who he is in our natural sense. But the good news is that God has not left us like that. God has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. And this is precisely what Jesus has come to do. To bring us back to God. To give us the power that we don't have in the natural, but to now give us the power in him to love and to follow him and to be obedient to his word. This is what Christ does for us. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 8. He says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know this truth, God's word, And as you obey this truth, this truth will set you free. Jesus is that truth. And he came to set us free to live in that truth. And this is precisely what the gospel empowers us to do. No matter what we're facing, no matter how hard, how high, how difficult, how challenging, how painful, how stressful, the gospel gives us the power to lead through that and to go through those situations. To give us the truth to think clearly through that. Not avoid it and step around it and try and sweep it under the carpet, but to go through the issue and to deal with it with God's word and God's power and then to come out the other side of that challenging situation, blessed in God, stronger as a believer and then ready to face the next challenge as it comes along because life is full of challenges. Every challenge we have that we go through that we don't avoid prepares us and strengthens us for the next one. It's stretching our faith, stretching our trust and growing our obedience in him. This is the blessing that God wants to bring in our lives. He doesn't want us to sidestep around things. He doesn't want us as men to take the soft option. He wants us as men to lead our families and our church well through whatever challenge we face so that we grow in him and grow in that blessing. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you today that we can come and uh, gather around your word. Father, we thank you for these chapters of Jeremiah that uh, speak to us so clearly, Lord. We see your hand at work in the lives of the people of Judah. We see the destruction, the mayhem and the challenge. God, we see people trying to rise up and uh, do things. But then we also see those same people, Lord, as it were, running away, trying to avoid another challenging situation. God, I know today in my own life, it nearly becomes the default position for me. We want to avoid the challenging stuff in this world. We want to actually step around it and not go through it. God, I pray today that you would just uh, reaffirm in our hearts that, Lord, it's your word that we need to be yielded to. It's your word that we need to be submitted to. And that will lead us through the hard things that we have to deal with. And through that, Lord, we will grow in Christ stronger. We will grow in Christ with more maturity. And gloriously, Lord, we will grow in you in our joy as well. As we see you when we are at our weakest, you in your strongest. And that serves to glorify you in our lives, Lord. And that serves then to grow our joy in what a great God that you are. Father, I pray today that you would equip us today as we think about this story and think about those implications, God, to uh, trust in your word, obey your word, and just work through whatever you place before us. Father, I uh, ask and pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen.